Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are around the world. We're so happy to have you here, and welcome to the Christ Church family. You know, I said last week uh, that we are in unusual times, that's for sure. It's an unusual situation. <clears throat> you know, in the whenever there's been a civic crisis uh, in history before, people have always flocked to the church. Uh, whether it was because of plague or disease in the Middle Ages, or whether it was 9-11 here in the United States. If you were with us in 9-11, you, you know that Christ Church was standing room only. There, there, wasn't, a, there wasn't a seat to be had in, uh, in the entire worship center as people from our church family and community came to the church for peace and solace. Uh, whether it be uh, an earthquake or, or a hurricane or a tornado, people always flock to the church in times of civil crisis. But boy, this is a different situation, isn't it? But we are more blessed as a church family than most because we are able to come together uh, thanks to the advancement in technology, thanks to the internet, uh, wherever we are around the world, as long as you have an internet connection, uh, we can be together. And I simply want you to hear me say that whether you are at home alone or whether you are scattered in places because of your work, we're still together. We are still the church. We are the people of Jesus Christ. And whether miles separate us physically, we are not separated by our heart and our faith. And so once again, we just simply want to say welcome. You know, our teaching, as Pastor Tony mentioned, and as well as Pastor Ryan, that uh, our teaching for the month of Lent is a series that, that we've decided to call Cross Life. In fact, we got the idea from a book my former seminary professor wrote, Bishop Will Williman, called Why Jesus? And we've taken some of the topics and, uh, and, and reimagined them for us so that uh, we would uh, understand more about who Jesus really is. As we look as we, as we do a, a deep dive into God's word, we are trying to discover over and over exactly the kind of person Jesus was. And so, you know, on week one, we looked at Jesus and discovered that really Jesus is God in motion, truly God in motion. I mean, here was a, a nomadic traveling savior who went from village to village and town to town and met people along the road. He rarely stayed put, but he was always going to where the people were because that's where the need is. is wherever the people are is where the need is, and that's the kind of person Jesus is, always going to where the need is, to where the people are. Then on our second week, we looked at Jesus as storyteller, the great storyteller, the one who could capture our attention like no other by the way he was able to tell a story. But 
Not all those stories ended very well. And in fact, most of these stories made his listeners angry. But he could tell a story. And he did so to, to encapsulate what it meant to live into the kingdom of God, which is so different than the world that we live in. Because God's economy is very different than the economy of the world. Then last week, Pastor Ryan talked about Jesus as peacemaker, offering peace to our troubled souls. And today, I'm going to talk to you about, we're going to do a deep dive into, pretty much into the Gospel of Matthew, because we're going to be looking at, at something, at, well, at a, at a part of Jesus you probably never thought about. And that is, that Jesus is the great delegator. Yeah, the great delegator. That's what we're going to be talking about. You know, we, we who are followers of Christ, we, we almost always think of, okay, who is Jesus? Jesus is our Savior. Uh, Jesus is the, the great forgiver of our sin. Jesus is the, the great physician, our healer. Yeah, we think of him in those terms, but I mean, how many of us think of Jesus as the great delegator? Well, but that's exactly what Jesus did over and over again. In fact, if you've printed out your Christ Church notes already, I want to encourage you to write this down. Because here it is. Jesus was always employing people and then deploying God's people into ministry. That's exactly what he did. Over and over and over again, Jesus was employing and then deploying his people in ministry. So let's do some Bible study together, folks. And I'm going to show you a side of Jesus that I'm not sure that you've ever really thought about. And it all starts when Jesus called his very first disciples. When he called his first disciples, so we're going to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter four, and we're going to find we're going to we're going to read about him calling his very first disciples. Here we go. As Jesus was walking along, uh, beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Yeah, that's the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. So what did Jesus do here? Well, first he went and he found Peter and his brother Andrew. And then he found James and his brother John. And he called, he said, come follow me. And immediately they left their boats, they left their nets, they left their family, and they followed Jesus. Then, a little bit later... Jesus finds a guy named Matthew. Matthew, check this out from Matthew 9.9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. 
Follow me, he told him. And look what Matthew did. Matthew got up and followed him. So now we have Matthew following Jesus. Jesus said what to Matthew? He said, follow me. And what did Matthew do? Well, he followed, right? You know, as I was thinking about it this week, you know, these two passages, the calling of, of uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John and Matthew, you know, this is astonishing to me. Is this not astonishing to you when you think about it? You, when you look at these scriptures, you know, we're not told that these guys had any time to give it a good think you know, uh, to, to say, hey, uh, we really need to, we need to think about this thing before we commit. You know, it, we're not told that they had any doubts. We're not told that they had any questions. We're not even told that they had met Jesus before. And yet Jesus comes up to Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Matthew and says, hey, guys, come, follow me. And it says they left their business, they left their family, and they followed. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, you know, not one of them, not one of those disciples went to Jesus. Jesus went to them. Jesus approached them. They didn't approach Jesus. Jesus approached them. They didn't come up to Jesus and say, look, you know, Jesus, we have been following your work. We have, we have been seeing what you've been doing, uh, and we really like what you've been doing. So uh, why don't you sign us up for Team Jesus? No, not one of them went to Jesus. Jesus went to them, and they followed. He called, and they followed. And listen to this. If all that's not strange enough, you realize that, that we don't even have record of Jesus giving these guys a job description until all 12 disciples were signed up. Until they were all on board, he didn't even bother to give them a job description. I mean, who takes a job without first having some idea, at least some idea, of what it is you're being called to do? You know, but still... Jesus called, and what did they do? You could say it out loud. They, they followed, right? Jesus called, they followed. And all they knew up until this point is Jesus said over and over again, do not be afraid. Yeah, that's what he said. Do not be afraid. I mean, would this kind of give you a clue of the job description that was to come? Well, I imagine so. So once all 12 disciples were on board, once they were all signed up, uh, Jesus then gives them their job description. We find that in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. And, you know, <laughs> as I was thinking about it, you'd kind of expect, what would you expect that job description to be that Jesus would to lay on these guys? 
well, you know, maybe, uh, you know, God's, uh, I'm going to be doing all of this ministry and I simply need your help to, to manage my, manage the crowd control. You be, you be crowd control. I'll take care of the business. You do, you manage where people are, what they're, what they need. And, uh, just let me know what that is. Well, no, that's not the job description he gave those guys. In fact, check this out. Jesus said, I'm going to give you this job description. He says, I want you to go out, and here it is, proclaim this message, all right? The kingdom of heaven has come near. Okay, not, not bad. All right, that's pretty good so far. I could do that. Proclaim the message. The kingdom of heaven has come here. And then Jesus goes on. He says, here's what I want you to do, guys. Here it is. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. I mean, leprosy was the coronavirus of their day. Cleanse those with the coronavirus. Drive out demons. I mean, freely you have received, Jesus said, freely give. <laughs> Is he joking? Here's my job description. Here's the job description I want you to do, guys. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. Uh, he's got to be kidding. You know, what qualifications did four fishermen, uh, a tax collector, and some zealots have to be able to do any of this stuff? I mean, this is incredible when I think about it. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with the coronavirus, and drive out demons. Unbelievable. That's the job description that Jesus laid on these guys. And then a few verses later, he drops this bomb on them. Uh, Matthew uh, chapter 10, verse 16. I'm sending you out like, what does it say? Say it out loud. Sheep among wolves. Yeah, sign me up, Jesus. Yeah, I can't wait to be a part of your team. Isn't this incredible? I mean, no wonder Jesus didn't give them their job description until they were already signed up. And here's the thing. The Bible says that Jesus gave them the authority to, to heal the sick and to raise the dead and to cleanse those with leprosy, the coronavirus, to drive out demons, to do all of these kinds of things. But get this. When he sent them out, we have no record of Jesus even going with them when he first sent them out. He sends them out, but he doesn't even go with them, physically with them. He simply empowers them and delegated the task of ministry to them. Unbelievable. But you know, the story of Jesus calling and delegating doesn't even end there with his disciples. It doesn't end with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It doesn't end there. Going forward in time, Jesus had, I want to tell you another story. Going forward in time, excuse me one second. Going forward in time, Jesus, Jesus had angered 
enough of the establishment that they couldn't take it anymore. Uh, he was arrested, he was tried, he was beaten, he was tortured on the cross, and very soon he would be dead. He was wrapped up and locked away in a tomb, and the establishment thought, yeah, good, that's going to take care of our Jesus problem. But truthfully, their problems were just beginning. You know what the first problem was? Jesus wouldn't stay dead. That was a big problem for the establishment. Jesus wouldn't stay dead. They thought they had taken care of him, but in fact, he came back to life. Problem number one. Problem number two is that his, his friends, his, his followers, his disciples, all that had, had uh, uh, come together with Jesus, they wouldn't shut up about it. They kept saying, you know, he's risen from the dead. He's risen from the dead. They wouldn't shut up. And let me tell you, that brought a lot of problems to the establishment who had hoped to squash all of this Jesus talk. Well, one of the members of the establishment who had had it up to here with all of this Jesus talk and this resurrection stuff was a guy named Saul a guy named Saul. And Saul was determined to round up as many rabble-rousing Christians as possible and bring them back to Jerusalem to face charges. But on his way to the city of Damascus, in order to round up some of these rabble-rousers and bring them back, on his way, on the road, this blinding light appeared in the sky. It was, it was like this bolt of lightning struck nearby him and threw him to the ground and made him blind. He couldn't see. And when he was coming to his senses, he heard this voice. And this voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And although Saul couldn't see anything, he, he, he was completely blind, he, he said, who are you? And this voice said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now, across town, something else was going on. There was this follower of, 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 of Jesus named Ananias, who was living across town in Damascus. He was a, he was a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, he heard the same voice that appeared to Saul, or that Saul heard. And this voice interrupted Ananias as he was minding his own business one day. And he said, look, he said, Ananias, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, okay, so get this picture. Saul is struck blind on the road to Damascus. Across town, 
Ananias hears the same voice that Paul heard, but saying, hey, Ananias, I want you to go and meet Saul over at this other house and put your hands on him and restore his sight. Now, I'm going to paraphrase this very liberally, uh, but Ananias said, Lord, you got to be joking me. You know, isn't that the same dude I saw on TV who is persecuting all the Christians? Isn't this the guy who's trying to round up your followers and haul them back to Jerusalem and bring them up on charges and maybe even put them on a cross? You got to be joking. You, you certainly don't want me to go and see Saul. Well, what did Jesus say? Or that voice, that voice said, go. <laughs> that was it. Go, exclamation point. Ananias, go. No more of your back talk, Ananias. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Good grief. God's chosen instrument. God's chosen man. Here he is, here he is, Jesus is deploying Saul and Ananias again in ministry, delegating the task of ministry to them. Jesus called, Saul and Ananias, they went. Wow. So once again, you know, Jesus is not only deploying, calling and deploying uh, people like the disciples prior to the resurrection uh, into the ministry of the church, but even after the resurrection, Jesus is deploying, calling and deploying people just like us. Ordinary you and me, folks, ordinary you and me, he is calling and deploying into ministry. And remember this, just so you can be clear, not one of these guys, not Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, Ananias, Saul, or any other of the 12 disciples, they, none of them went to Jesus and said, hey, you know, I've seen you at work, sign me up for Team Jesus, I want to I wanna be on your team. No, every last one of them, Jesus went to them. He went to them. He called, he went to them, he called, and they followed. Okay, so here's the question. What in the world do those two stories, the stories of the calling of the first disciples, the calling of Saul through Ananias, what does that have to do with ordinary people like you and me? What do these stories have to do with us? You know, two nearly 2,000 years removed from them. Well, here, let me tell you this. Here's what it has to do with you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, now let me, I'm going to say it again. I want you to pay very close attention to what I'm about to say. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then Jesus has called you too. He came to you. He came to where you were. 
and he called you. Just like he went to where Peter and Andrew were, where he went to James and his brother John, there along the lake shore when they were by their boats, he went to their place of business, didn't he? And called. When he went to the tax table, the tax collector's booth, and he called Matthew. When he met and called Saul along the road to Damascus. When he, he called Ananias while he was minding his own business at his home. He went to them, and he called them, and they followed. If, what I want you to understand is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it is be, precisely be, because he has called you to, and you followed. You know, I've got a question for you. You know, if somebody were to ask you this week and say, um, call your name and say, hey, why are you a Christian? Why, why are you a follower of Jesus Christ? I mean, there are a number of things that we could say. We could say, you know, uh, I've tried just about everything else, but... Uh, well, frankly, my life was empty. Every, everything that I tried left me empty. But then I decided that I was going to try Jesus. And finally, my life is fulfilled. I have found the peace that passes understanding and fulfillment in my life. And I would say, that's a great answer. But, hear me, that's only part of the answer. You could say, you know, um, here's the deal. Until I uh, met Jesus, uh, until I found Jesus, my life was unfulfilled. Uh, my life had no eternal purpose. My life had no eternal meaning to it. But once I found Jesus, then my life came together. And I would say to you, if I heard that you tell me that, I'd say, yeah, that's a great answer. But truthfully, that's only part of the answer. You see, here's the deal. Why am I a Christian? Why am I a follower of Jesus? The number one beginning answer is that he's called me. He met me wherever I was and he called me. And I followed. And so, yes, I have meaning and purpose in my life because I'm following Jesus, but mostly because Jesus called me. I have meaning and purpose in my life. I've just, I, I have decided to follow, and that has brought meaning and purpose in my life. I have fulfillment. 
You can say, yeah, uh, up until, until I met Jesus, my life was empty. You can say, I've, I've tried all kinds of substances and whatever it was to try to fill the void. But until I met, but in, when I met Jesus, he turned my life around. Absolutely true. But it was because of what happened first. And what happened first? Jesus called who? Me. Me. You. Jesus called me. He met me. And I followed. Don't believe me? Look at what Jesus said to his followers. John, uh, Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 16. I think this is pretty clear, particularly the first part of that verse. Uh, you did not, what? Yeah, choose me. All right, keep looking at it. What did he say? What's after the semicolon? I chose you. Yeah. And what did he choose you to do? What was it? Look at the rest of the verse. And I gave you this work. So I've delegated something to you, right? I'm delegating you. I've called you. And now I am deploying or delegating something for you to do. Let me tell you, if you're a follower with Jesus, you'll never be without a job. Your secular job may come and go. But if you're a follower of Christ, you will never be unemployed. And I have given you this work to go and do what? Produce. To produce. To produce what? Much fruit. There you go. What's that mean? It means to love God, love others, and live out the gospel life, people. That's exactly what it means. Make a difference in the world around you. Do something. Produce some fruit. Make a difference. That's what it means. Still don't believe that Jesus has called you? Look at this one. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are the ones, what is that? Now say it. Chosen by who? By God, yeah. You are the ones chosen by God. Chosen for the high calling of, look at that word, priestly work. Yeah. You know, I have told you so many times over the, well, over at least over the last 28 years that I've been pastor here, that that I am the pastor, but you are the ministers. I am the pastor of about 1,000, 1,100, 1,200 ministers known as Christ Church. I am the pastor, you are the ministers. It's right there on uh, uh, the scripture right there. Uh, let's keep on going with it. You are chosen for the high calling of priestly work. Chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work, and to, look at this, what does it say? To 
speak out for him. Hmm. To speak out for him. Oh, I thought that, that was only the preacher's job. No, got another job description here. He is the great delegator after all. Uh, and to tell others of the night, I love this, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. You know why he did that? Because he called you. Why has there been a night and day difference? Because he called, you followed. The great delegator, and now he's put you to work. From nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Folks, listen. You know, there are, uh, I'm going to tell you one more quick thing. There are lots of historians out there who will tell you that they believe that the very reason Christianity triumphed and flourished in the centuries following the, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is because Christians, his followers, people like us, astounded the world with acts of charity. Now, let me explain. You see, in the, in the first few centuries after Jesus was resurrected, there were at least three major, now listen to me very carefully, at least three major plagues and pandemics that ravished the Roman Empire ravished the Roman Empire. We're talking about millions of people who have died. Millions. Okay. Now get that. Shortly after, in the centuries that followed, at least three major known world pandemics that ravished the Roman Empire. Now, what happened? Many of those who were rich and their pagan priests left. They left the cities. They went and hid in the countryside away from where all the people were. But guess what? Guess who stayed? In the midst of the pandemic, guess who stayed? What are you saying? It was the Christians. That's who. It was the Christians who stayed. People like you and me. And these Christians began ministering to the needs of the people in the community the ones who were not Christians, they were ministering to their needs. The ones with the plague, the ones with the disease, the ones with the virus, they were ministering to them. And it made such an incredible impression upon them that many of these people said, I want to know about your Jesus. 
And so in the time that followed the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, remember, in those centuries, Christianity was illegal. People were being arrested and persecuted for being a follower of Jesus Christ. It wasn't an approved religion. And yet, it was the Christians who stayed in the towns, in the villages, in the cities to help the people who were suffering from these great viruses. And that's the reason, one of the major reasons, why Christianity exploded. And you realize in just a few centuries, <laughs> this tiny Look at the, this tiny, tiny little sect of people called Christ followers, called uh, Jesus people, called Christians, became the dominant faith of the entire Roman Empire. And it all started because in the midst of pandemic, We Christ followers, we Christians, we didn't run and hide. We didn't allow fear to control our lives. But we stayed. And we joined the people, and we joined God in his sacred work of caring for the people who are hurting. Do you remember that job description, by the way, that, that Jesus gave his followers? I don't have it in front of me right here, but I'm trying to think of what I can remember. Heal the sick. Was that number one? I think it was. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those with the coronavirus, that is, the leprosy of their day. And drive out the demons. Remember, that was their job description, these followers of Jesus. And you know, why do Christians, why did Christianity flourish after the resurrection? It's because Christians did just that. They tended to the sick. And they helped cleanse those with the virus of leprosy. You know, uh, as Will Williman said in his book here, uh, Why Jesus, I'm going to give you one quote as I end. He says, we are a visible bodily sign of what God can do. That's who we Christians are. A visible bodily sign of what God can do and is doing in the world to set things right. We are God's living, breathing sermon to the world. We are God's invitation to the world to come and follow to follow Jesus and to love God, to love others, and to live out the gospel life. 